0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. That was a great reading. I got to go write a new sermon, I'm so sorry. (laughs) So I was born in 1985, which makes me a, you guessed it, millennial. (laughs) Statistically, that means that I have an innate and unstoppable drive to destroy straws, home ownership, light yogurt, traditional marriage, J. Crew, the golf industry, the movie industry, manners, paper napkins, chain restaurants, nine to five jobs, careers in general, craft singles, and fabric softener. <laughs> and statistically, I love avocados more than I love God herself. If you, too, hate manners, marriage, and light yogurt, and love avocados on toast and in face masks, then, by the power vested in me by arguably the first millennial ever, Jesus Christ, I declare that you, too, can be a millennial, regardless of age or marital status. I'm not joking about avocados. Avocados are perfect for my sugar-free, anti-inflammatory, keto-paleo diet. They're in my lotions. I eat them on toast, on salads, in smoothies, on cereal, on other avocados. (laughs) I eat so many avocados because they're very good for your brain for your gut, for your heart, and shall we delicately say, your elimination. They're a super-fat, superfood, designed specifically by God to help me live my best life. I am so crazy about avocados that I will and have gone to any lengths to get them to add extra, extra guacamole at Chipotle. I smile very big. I try speaking Spanish. I sometimes cleverly look away as if I don't care and so they know that I'm one of the cool customers and some days I just say, hey, I'm paying $2.50 extra for that guacamole, so please make sure it's extra. Yes, I am a millennial to the core. Two years ago, the trend was coconut oils. Two years before that, it was quinoa. Two years before that it was goji berries, all foods designed by God just for me to be as healthy as I can possibly be, and all made available to me 24-7. Now here's the thing with these so-called super-trending superfoods. They're super good for me and super terrible for the people who grow them. Nine out of every ten avocados grown is shipped to the U.S. from the Michoacan area of Mexico at an estimated profit of one million dollars every day. This new profit has obviously attracted the attention and protection of folks who previously protected the coca plant, the Mexican drug cartels. Farmers who have refused to pay cartels for their protection have had their orchards burned to the ground and their communities destroyed. Just like those pesky conflict diamonds that millennials also got rid of, this yummy green superfood from Mexico is now known in the media as blood avocados. Why do I mention this? because the cartels in Mexico don't care what product they ship out of Mexico to me, as long as it makes them money. They will serve any master, in other words. And apparently, so will I. My obsession with superfoods is a master that makes of me a slave, a slave to murder, a slave to extortion, and a slave to communities, that I don't even know. My superfoods binge habit is a false master, one who seems to serve me, though I'm instructed to believe that there's no real harm to others in consuming three to five avocados a week. But at its core, this habit is a master who keeps me isolated and out of relationship with people and with God's creation. And so as much as I want to believe myself to be a disciple like those in Luke, eager to learn, wise in their growth, able to develop depth and maturity, instead I have to admit I'm more like the disciples of Mark's gospel. Eager for glory, missing the point altogether, often rebuked and fighting amongst themselves and their peers, Jesus Jesus even has a charming pet name for them, calling them the little faith ones. In today's scripture, this is the third time Jesus has told the disciples of his coming death, and he's more explicit than ever. This is the third time that the disciples presume that their known world of hierarchy, glory, power, and isolation will continue on in them. A world where we don't have to relate to each other as connected beings in relationship, but a world where glory is ours to lord over others and to demand they send their foods to us for our hunger. A world where these foods magically appear at Trader Joe's and can be ours without ever having to know where they came from. The disciples ask only, how can they sit at the right and left hand of Christ in heaven once he's good and gone from the earth? They, unlike Jesus, don't care who they will leave behind. They didn't hear Jesus clearly say, where two or more are gathered, there am I, and there I will remain. They, like me, don't think of the wider community. When I'm squeezing my avocados in the grocery store, I think only of my perfect meal prep plan. The disciples think only of glory and power. And all of us following this master of self-interest become a slave to our own deceptions and forget that Jesus calls us to service of others and calls us over and over to relationship. When we combine Jesus' words, which were only one part of his teaching, with Jesus' actions, which were a deeper teaching, we see he always calls us to be servants in relationship, always with another, always seeking to know another, always turning towards another. And only then when we are with can we ask how to be of service. Jesus assures us he has paid the ransom for this isolation and slavery. And so I ask myself, what ransom did he pay? And what am I slave to? I have been told by avid atonement theologians that Jesus paid my ransom with his life. And remember, I am one of Mark's dim-witted disciples, no doubt, But that kind of atonement theology seems to have a missing piece. The ransom of Jesus paying with his life for my sins never quite made sense. Like, why not just teach me how not to sin and then live until whatever Messiah retirement age is? But what does make sense to me is that Jesus paid the ransom not with his life, but with his living And in his living, he always sacrificed everything to be with people, to drink with a woman at the well, to stop and listen to the contagiously ill, to uplift a forgotten child. He paid with his living to be in relationship and he set us free from the sin of isolation. Jesus said to the disciples, yes, glory and power will be yours, but so too will be service. Service with, not service for. Power with, not power over. In fact, Jesus reassures the disciples that though they crave glory only, they too will drink from the cup he drinks from, which is to say one way or another, we are in service in this world. If we are in isolation and refuse to see our connection to the world, then we are not in service but in slavery to the metaphorical cartel masters of extortion, addiction, and death. To the ones who don't care which plant they're exporting to our country, to the ones who would keep us separate. When we are in relationship, deep, true relationship that costs us everything, then our service sets us free. We will serve no matter what kind of disciples we are. And Jesus has given us this table of deep and authentic relationships so that our service may set us free. He invites us into true freedom from whatever it is we are enslaved to. He tells us the meal is already paid for in full. And he shows us this table where we are in service to life and to living merely by being with each other around the table come to this table made sacred and real when more than one are gathered come to this table that calls together the farmers and the drug lords alike come to this table of relationship where the meal is yours to take eat and drink with others And because then we have been with each other, every act of service is made holy. Whether it's as simple as bringing a meal to share with friends, preparing our worship space to welcome the stranger, or something as monumental as raising a child or marching on the Supreme Court, we are transformed by this gift of table fellowship and table sisterhood and from this place we can truly serve not as masters and tyrants but as lovers and as friends may it be so and amen you have been listening to the sermon podcast for house for all sinners and saints If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.